The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I want to welcome you today. Thank you so much for joining us. In the past weeks, right before the message, we've been showing a little video that kind of introduces the scripture about what we're going to be talking about. And there's usually a story behind the video and it kind of ties in, but sometimes we haven't always been referring to it. And I thought the story behind this week's videos with the cows was too good not to share. So it was customary on the island of Oahu many years ago for a dowry, a gift to the father of a future bride, to be set as an offer of cows. And a good dowry for a beautiful girl could be three cows. Now, if a daughter was a special catch, she might bring four cows. And there was a rumor that a beautiful, charming daughter once brought the high price of five cows. There was a man on the island who had two daughters. He knew that his youngest daughter would bring at least three cows, maybe even four. But his oldest daughter, he was not so sure she would even bring one cow. If push came to shove, he would let her go just to lighten the financial burden that he had. Well, one day the richest man on the island came and he paid a visit to the farmer's house. Now, everyone on the island knew that he was going to ask for one of the farmer's daughters in marriage. And everyone assumed that he would ask for the hand of the youngest daughter. But he didn't. To dad's delight, he asked for his eldest daughter in marriage. And he gave dad ten cows for her dowry. Well, the couple got married, and when they came back from a two-year-long honeymoon, the daughter had changed. She was poised, strikingly beautiful, graceful, and confident. Everyone thought her husband got a bargain for only paying ten cows for her hand in marriage. You see, her husband looked at her from a different perspective. He saw her beauty. He saw the beauty of her heart and character. And the moment he paid 10 cows for her, she became a 10-cow wife. Perspective, how it influences us. 
perception influences us also. Aren't you glad, ladies, that we're not judged today by how many cows we might be worth? My youngest daughter got married last week, and I'm so glad her husband did not give us any cows, although Ellie is probably worth about 10 cows in my book. But my backyard is the size of a postage stamp, so what on earth would I do with 10 cows? We're in the chapter of the story about young David, and many of you may remember one of the most loved stories in the Old Testament where a young boy kills a giant with a sling and five stones. We love the stories where the underdog wins, and that was David. David's story is powerful and has many learning opportunities, but we can only touch on a few today. So take a few minutes this week and read through the story, chapter 11. Now, David was just a shepherd. In everyone's mind, he was the least of his family. But God had a special plan for his life, and it was not an easy journey. Let's review where we are with the Israelites. After their release from Egypt, Israel had been ruled by judges, but all the communities around them, all of the kingdoms around them, all had an appointed king. And of course, the Israelites asked God to have a king, and God was not happy. Once again, they were being rebellious. You see, God wanted to be the king of their lives. He didn't want to appoint a king for them. God warned them that it would not turn out well, but they insisted, and God relented and gave them just exactly what they asked for. Saul was appointed and anointed as the very first king of Israel. Now, if we fast forward a little bit, Saul did not obey God, and God was not pleased with Saul. So he told Samuel, the prophet at the time, to go to the home of a man named Jesse to anoint a new king. Now, Jesse had seven sons. Six of them came before Samuel, and after each son came forward, God said, nope, not that one. Finally, Samuel turned to Jesse and said, is this it? And Jesse admitted that he had one more son, the youngest, who was out tending the sheep. And David was called. And as soon as David appeared, God told Samuel, this is the one. Let's look at what God was saying to Samuel as the sons passed by. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The one least likely was chosen, the smallest, youngest son. God did not look at David's age. He did not look at David's height. He looked at David's heart, and David was devoted to God. Now, many of us hear from God, not necessarily in an audible voice, but we have this feeling that God is leading us in a certain way. We feel that God wants us to do something we think is impossible because we look at ourselves and we say, nope, not me. We convince ourselves that we are only worth one or two cows. I have a friend who's been called by God, and over the past few months, she has become more and more aware and more and more open to God's calling in her life. It means a change of direction. It means yielding to God's plan. She's at a fork in the road. A few weeks ago, she sent me a message saying, God really spoke clearly to me. But she said something very interesting at the end of her text. She said, but I am just a girl. 
God uses just girls and just guys, just like he used the shepherd boy David. We've heard over the past few weeks how God used ordinary people. Gideon, a farmer, became a warrior. A man who did not speak well, Moses, led his people out of bondage. God used a young man who was sold as a slave by his family, Joseph, to save a nation and his family from famine. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. What did David do after he was anointed the next king by Samuel? He went back to tending the sheep. A crown did not magically appear on his head like the old imperial commercials that, you know, imperial margin, ta-da, here's the crown. Life went back exactly to the way it was before Samuel made his visit. But God's upper story was being formed. David was between 10 and 13 years old when Samuel anointed him king. At the same time, King Saul was having a lot of trouble with some anxiety, probably because he was not being obedient to God and wanted to find someone who could help soothe him by playing music. One of Saul's servants remembered that there was a young shepherd named David who was a talented musician. So Saul invited David to come and play for him. Little did Saul know that he was inviting the next king into his palace. David had the opportunity to see things, to learn things, to prepare him as future king. David spent his days playing for Saul and tending his father's sheep. This was a time of preparation. David's brothers were fighting in the Israelite army, and one day David's father told him to take some bread and cheese to his brothers and see how they were doing. Well, things were not going well for the Israelites. You see, the Israelites did not have a really good army. They were not professional warriors. They were outnumbered, and they didn't have weapons available that their enemies had at their their disposal. And on this day, they were in a standoff with the Philistines. Now there was a giant of a man named Goliath who had been taunting them every day for 40 days. He wanted an Israelite to come out and fight him. To make a long story short, David stepped up with a sling and smooth stones. David told Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And with that, Goliath was defeated by a young shepherd boy. You would think that David taking out the Philistine giant would please King Saul, and it did for a moment. And Saul gave David a high rank in the army, and David began to be very successful in leading battles, and everyone in the kingdom came to love him. As David's popularity rose, Saul became very jealous. He felt threatened. He actually tried to kill David several times. He threw his spear at him and missed. He sent him into battle thinking he would be killed. And he gave Saul, 
gave David this ridiculous goal of collecting a certain body part, you'll have to read the story to find out what it was, from 100 Philistines in order to marry his daughter, again thinking he would be killed. But David brought back twice as many body parts as Saul had asked for. Finally, Saul sent men to arrest David in his own home. David became a fugitive, fleeing from Saul. For 14 years, David hid in caves trying to escape Saul's anger, all the time waiting for God's timing to become king. I have to wonder if David questioned God's plan. Did he wonder if Samuel really heard from God? Did he wonder if God forgot how a king should really be treated? So many times when we think we know God's plan for our lives, we want to jump from here to there quickly. We don't want to experience the journey. We don't want to wait. But God wants us to teach us along the way. He wants us to learn from our experience so we can be prepared for what lies ahead. When we are sure of what God told us to do and we step out in faith and then things stall, our human brains begin to question. Did we really hear God say that? Is this really the plan God has for me? Or did I take a wrong turn back at the fork in the road? When I finally got the nerve to tell people that I had felt God calling me to be a pastor 17 years ago, I was working at Rutland grade school. Now, I had been working at the church part-time, and I love my job at Rutland, but I felt God was calling me into full-time work and he wanted me to begin the journey of becoming ordained as a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene. And as I waited, another man was hired. Now I knew enough about the budget that it would not allow for both of us to come on staff full time. And I began to question if I really heard the right thing from God. I began to second guess what I heard and I allowed Satan's voice to get in my thoughts. You know, Satan wants us to think that God's promises will never be fulfilled. He wants us to take control of things. He wants us to follow our plan and not wait for God's plan to unfold. But as I was waiting, I heard God's gentle whisper, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That promise helped me in the waiting. We often hear that God's timing is not our timing and that God is never in a hurry. But in the waiting, we often forget that God is working. The person who was hired was able to bring about some changes that helped move the mission of our church forward. At the time, all I felt was frustration. I was looking at the lower story, at the way I thought God's plan would work. But God was unfolding the upper story in amazing ways. I can say that now as I look back, but I certainly did not say that 17 years ago. There are times when I look back, I can see God's plan at work. There are other times when I look back, I still wonder, why did that work out that way? And I may never know the why, but that's where faith comes in. That is when I have to trust God with the process. All of the things that David endured worked together to make him a better king. He was more prepared to rule Israel. Waiting is the part of the divine design of things. It was no accident. Waiting has a purpose. 
Waiting is a significant part of our, our lives. We wait for a lot of things. We wait at stoplights. We wait for traffic to clear. We wait for a child to be born. We wait for them to crawl, to, to walk, and then to talk. And then when they start talking, we wonder why we did we ever want them to start talking because they're never quiet. We wait for our 16th birthday so we can get our driver's license. We wait for Christmas, which, by the way, is about six months away. Our lives are filled with waiting. I was traveling to a meeting out of town a few months ago with Pastor Kevin and Pastor John. I'm not going to tell you which one of them was driving. We were at a stoplight, and when the light turned green, the person in front of us did not move quite as quickly as they thought they should, so the driver of our car honked. I just put my head down and covered my eyes, and I was so grateful that I was not in Ottawa so that someone might know me. And out of the back seat came the comment, we would have been waiting there forever if he wouldn't have honked. Really? Forever? We waited about three seconds before Kevin honked. Now you know who was driving. I am not a honker. Now how many of you would have honked? I'll pray for you. Okay. We are such an impatient society. We want our food fast. We want our internet faster. We want our dreams to become reality quickly. We do not like waiting, and we especially don't like waiting for God's perfect timing. David reminds us in Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I think there's a reason he said wait twice in that one small sentence. Waiting for God's perfect timing is not easy. So what do we do while we wait? What do we do when it's taking forever to see what God has in store? When it's taking forever to see an answer to prayer? Let's take some lessons from David. David used his gifts while he was waiting. He was a talented musician. He served Saul and he served his father. We know that David was a strong warrior. Saul gave him a command over a thousand men after killing Goliath. And David was successful. The Bible tells, it, that, tells us that David was successful because the Lord was with him. David was willing to serve God wherever he led him, whether it was playing to soothe King Saul's torment or leading an army to battle or taking bread and cheese to his brothers. He yielded control of his life to God. What talents did God give you? As you're waiting for God's plan to unfold, find ways to serve him. Serve him at Crossbridge. We need volunteers in almost every ministry area right now. Serve him in your community. Serve him in your neighborhood. Find little things each day to show God's love to other people. Now, while we wait, we may be tested. Yield to God's plan through the testing. Even though Saul married one of sorry, even though David married one of Saul's daughters, he still had to stay in caves to stay alive. He was hiding from his father-in-law. There's a really cool part of this story. Saul was out hunting for David and entered a cave to take care of some business. There were no, no porta potties available, and David and his men just happened to be in the same cave. And as Saul was occupied, David snuck up on him and actually cut off a piece of his robe. Now, my mind went a lot of places when I read this again. I know caves are dark, but really? 
was Saul checking Facebook or what? I mean, how would you not hear someone coming up on you and he had to be pretty close? How would you not feel a tug on your robe? Anyway, when David's men started giving him a hard time about not just taking Saul out of the picture when he had the chance, David reminded them that Saul was still the king and he would not raise his hand against the king that God had appointed. I can't help but think this was a test from God. Out of all the caves in the area, Saul just happened to walk into the one where David was hiding? I don't think so. Even when David had an opportunity to kill Saul, he yielded to God's plan and let him live. When we're waiting, we need to stay true to the things we know God has said are true. Stay in his word. Listen to his voice. We may have to go undergo some testing, but we need to stay true to what we know is right. Our plans cannot take precedent over his plans. Yield to God. David poured his heart out to God while he waited. Psalm 59 was one that was written by David. And notes on this psalm say that it was written when Saul had sent men to David's house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look at my plight. When we don't understand, we can cry out to God. We can talk to him about exactly what we're struggling with, exactly what we're feeling. He's big enough to handle our emotions. There's no point in pretending because he knows our hearts. There are so many times that I have been walking on a country road by my house with tears streaming down my face because I didn't understand why. Why did that child have to die? Why did my friend get cancer? Why hasn't God answered my prayer? And as I cried out, I eventually felt God's peace. Psalm 59 goes on, and David begins to praise God, even in the times of questioning his plan. You are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. God, you are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. David states his case. He's being wronged, but he remembers that God is his strength. We remember who God is while we are waiting. We remember he is with us, whether we are in the palace or we are in a cave. He is our strength. He is our refuge. In her book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Lisa Turker says, The process isn't a cruel way to keep you from the promise. It's the exact preparation you'll need to handle the promise. God is far more interested in your being prepared than your being comfortable. Allow God to work in the waiting. Waiting involves trust. God is in charge. He can take all things and work them together for good. Waiting also involves believing that God is our loving Heavenly Father. There is care and purpose behind all that he does. 
even when it doesn't feel like it. We can wrestle with God. We can be honest with him, and we can trust him in the waiting. I went to see a counselor a year or so ago because I was struggling with some things that I had been waiting for that didn't seem like they were ever going to materialize. And in our conversation, he told me that uh, there was something that I found kind of difficult to believe, but in other ways I found it kind of comforting. He told me that in his opinion, when Jesus was taken by the Holy Spirit into the desert after his baptism, Jesus did not know that this time of temptation was going to end after 40 days. Honestly, that's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. Jesus is God, and, and he knows everything. But the man I was speaking with was a lot smarter than I am, so I began to really think about what all that would mean. Jesus was fasting in the desert. He was alone. If my counselor was correct, I wonder if Jesus thought each day, perhaps today, will be the last day in this desert. Jesus waited day after day. After 40 long days and nights, Satan appeared with even more temptations. But through all this, Jesus relied on the truths he knew about his father. Every time he was tempted, he used scripture to stay strong. And when the waiting was over, angels came and attended to every need he had. Waiting is hard. Waiting for the test results. Waiting for a dream to materialize waiting for a better job, waiting for a child to return to their relationship with Jesus, waiting for a prayer to be answered. God is with us as we wait. As we wait, hold on to Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I believe there are a lot of people waiting to see God move to see an answer to prayer. There are people that God is speaking to that need to take a next step. We receive prayer requests each week that speak to how we are waiting on God. We would love to pray with you as you walk this journey and as you wait. If you could send me an email, sherry at crossbridge.church, I will be praying with you that God will reveal his plan to you and give you peace in the waiting. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the lessons that we can learn from David. Thank you for the reminder that you are working as we wait. Thank you, Father, that even though we don't understand, we know that you are working. I don't know who's watching today, but you do. And I pray, God, that your presence would be so very real to them, that you would be able to let them get a glimpse of how your hand is working. Give them hope, Father. Give them the peace that they need, the trust that they need to remember that you love them no matter what is happening in their lives. Help them remember that you 
are their answer, that you are their strength, that you are their hope. And I pray, God, that they will be faithful to you in the waiting. Amen.